0: Welcome back to another episode of By Study and By Faith, where we take a look at critical thinking skills and apply them to LDS theology and history. I'm Zach Wright, and we've got some fun stuff to get into today. Before we launch into that, though, I did want to make one one quick plug. Many of you I know are watching this on YouTube, and if you are, you can just go ahead and skip forward to this next part. This is specifically for the people who are listening to this either on the FAIR website, or perhaps they're just reading this on the website. I am going to make a quick plug for the for the YouTube channel for FAIR. Uh, we're coming out with a lot of really interesting stuff. We're put, making a lot of our content more accessible on YouTube. Uh, so, for instance, every other week, we're kind of going to be putting out stuff from either the FAIR conference or the Defending the Book of Mormon conference. And we've got a lot of really great stuff lined up in order, you know, to... Kind of showed a lot of people and we're getting that more available. We also have YouTube shorts that are coming out kind of help dissect and kind of help explore things in kind of like a, a shorter video. So that's always that's that's always good. but definitely take a look at the YouTube channel and we'd love to be able to hear your thoughts and see your comments and we'd love your support if we can get it. that aside, I do think it's about time we we launch into our discussion today. So to, to kind of lead into this discussion, I think it's useful to explore a, a specific aspect of my own faith journey, actually. So in high school, I, I found myself in a consistent dispute with, with a classmate of mine who consistently challenged my faith. He didn't believe in God, and he was very argumentative and combative regarding as to why he was right. And I found myself kind of thrown for a loop. Because while I had had certain things that kind of challenged my specific beliefs about about other aspects of of my testimony, this was kind of the first time I was really confronted with these arguments that God didn't exist, kind of a thing. I mean, I'd had deeply spiritual experiences, but those didn't seem to answer some of his questions, and I, I, it made me feel like I was on the defensive, I'm kind of like my. I remember the, the feelings very well. It was almost like my, my head was on fire. Everything I had ever believed seemed to, to flip upside down. And I began poring over everything that I learned, trying desperately to find out what I could trust and cling on to whatever truths I could find. Now, in psychology, this is referred to as cognitive dissonance. And it's something that critical thinkers need to be aware of in order to be successful. It goes by a couple of other names and other contexts. We'll get to that in a second. But cognitive dissonance is really what we're going to be focusing on today. So throughout the series, we've talked about, we, we've talked a decent amount about processing information, how we deal with it, and how we arrive at correct conclusions. However, a lot of data, especially about like very people-centered topics, such as politics and religion, we come from differing worldviews and a lot of the discussion is loaded with with differing presuppositions and we We have to take that sort of thing into account and and this sort of thing naturally leads to some kind of conflict A lot of these presuppositions are fundamentally incompatible with each other And this is further complicated by the fact that sometimes people are just closed-minded and unwilling or unable to accept the, the points that we bring across and critical thinkers need to learn how to deal with cognitive dissonance because if we, first off, if we haven't experienced cognitive dissonance then I'm sorry it's going to happen eventually and second we need to learn to be able how to, we need to learn to be able to help other people who are experiencing cognitive dissonance for a few different reasons and we need to be able to effectively navigate the ways that our feelings and our thoughts are being challenged in a way that doesn't make us feel miserable all the time, but doesn't necessarily prevent us from continuously learning. So in order to do this, first we'll explore kind of what cognitive dissonance is, then we'll kind of explore what that may look like from a more faith-based perspective, and then we'll discuss how to better resolve it. So with that kind of planned in store, let's get into it. Cognitive dissonance has been described as one of the most influential and extensively studied theories in social psychology, and for good reason. It was termed, it was given kind of that name over 60 years ago, which in in terms of modern psychology is very, very old, uh, by a psychologist named Leon Festinger, and he described it as an antecedent condition which leads to activity oriented toward dissonance reduction just as hunger leads to activity oriented toward hunger reduction. And this is important to keep in mind because unlike the, the common colloquial usage, cognitive dissonance isn't holding two contradictory ideas at once. Instead, as Fessinger indicated, it's, it's a mental condition that prompts us to want to reconcile conflicts within our minds. As I, was, as I was studying this, there was actually a fable that, that came to mind. So the, the fable goes that there was a fox walking through the forest, and he stumbled across some beautiful, delicious-looking grapes. They were high up on a vine, though, and so he tried jumping up and down to get them to no avail. He tries and tries again, eventually stating to himself, they're probably just sour grapes anyway. I shouldn't waste my time on this, or something to that effect he gives up having convinced himself to leave and it's interesting because this story explains the psychological phenomenon rather well the fox in this story was put into distress cognitive dissonance when he found he was unable to get the grapes and to resolve said dissonance he convinced himself that the grapes were sour to justify himself giving up however on top of that there are some there are also some very interesting real-world examples wherein we can, we can study this cognitive dissonance. Uh, Leon Festinger took it upon himself to explore this, this concept of dissonance further. He took 71 psychology students, one at a time, and he had them take 12 kind of spools, like a spool of thread, and place them into a tray using only one hand. And then using the same hand, the students were then instructed to take each spool individually out. And then they were instructed to repeat this process for about 30 minutes. Uh, then they, uh, they they had to do a similar exercise wherein they, they were given these kind of pegs and they had to rotate each peg individually about a quarter turn. And they had to do that for about 30 minutes. So basically, In other words, this experiment was designed to be the most boring thing on the planet. At the end of the experiment, the experimenter would pull each student aside and tell the participants that they needed help, or the experimenter needed help, convincing others about how exciting the experiment was. To one group of students, the experimenters offered $20, and to another group they offered only $1, and to another group of students they offered no compensation whatsoever. So I want you to take a moment and guess which group reported the highest satisfaction with the experiment. If you guessed the group that was offered $20 gave the best report about it, I I don't blame you, but interestingly enough, that's not what happened. Instead, the group that was offered $1 rated the experiment the most positively. So what happened? Well, the, in, the, in their analysis, they explained the following. Quote, If a person induced to do or say something which is contrary to his or her private opinion, there will be a tendency for him or her to change his opinion so as to bring it into correspondence with what he has said or w- with what he has done or said. And two, the larger the pressure used to elicit the overt behavior— beyond the minimum need to elicit it, the weaker will be the above-mentioned tendency. Put another way, the conclusion arrived at was that the participants changed how they viewed the experiment and that the participants who were most heavily rewarded were less likely to change their behavior. And that makes sense. Students who got rewarded $20, an amount that was far larger back in the 1960s, didn't need to change their opinion. They were already compensated for their time, and the dissonance in that sense had already been resolved. However, those who only received $1 didn't get that satisfaction, so they had to resolve it a different way. In this case, it manifested itself in them wanting to, or needing to, or feeling the need to convince other people that the experiment was actually exciting. This is the crux of what cognitive dissonance really is. However, that leaves us with the question still, or what do you feel when you experience cognitive dissonance? And what specifically can cause cognitive dissonance? Some writers indicate that a person suffering from cognitive dissonance experiences anxiety, embarrassment, regret, sadness, shame, things like that. And some causes for cognitive dissonance include being forced to do something that you believe is wrong or making decisions based off of options that don't seem very appealing or giving into addictions have also been have also been associated with these with these feelings of cognitive dissonance and again all of this goes back to this idea that something prompts us to feel bad about something that is happening or that goes against what, what we believe and in inherently challenges the presuppositions that we have. Now, to many of you, this this concept of cognitive dissonance is sounding very familiar. And as I mentioned before, a lot of this can be found in a lot of different contexts, such as religion. And the example I used in the introduction is one of many stories wherein cognitive dissonance played a role in my behaviors and actions. One author doing a qualitative study on the feelings behind these uh, faith crises in Christianity noted the following, quote, In the words of Dura Vila, and Dane, a Christian is susceptible to a period referred to as the, quote, dark night of the soul, which is described as a loneliness and desolation in one's life associated with a crisis of faith or profound spiritual concerns. This crisis of faith can cause great suffering and emotional distress, and can even resemble symptoms of a depressive episode. Example, feelings of guilt, loss of interest, anxiety. Efforts to participate in spiritual activities such as prayer, attending church, or fellowship with other believers can feel overwhelmingly difficult. Additionally, these spiritual practices can lack meaning they once held for the believer. These crises of faith can be short term or last years and could potentially become as severe as an individual abandoning his or her faith altogether. Again, we're talking about those feelings sounding very familiar. Basically, the argument being made is that those who are experiencing these feelings are having what many have called a crisis of faith. And that prompts them to make decisions to resolve those negative feelings. And these faith crises have often been described by both members and former members of the church as being the most difficult part of their lives. Remember, when someone begins to question the nature of their faith, they're questioning the very nature of reality as we understand it. And the negative feelings that come along with such questions are very real and should not be ignored cognitive dissonance is a real thing. As we've learned though, those feelings are only part of the story, seeing as cognitive dissonance is manifested not by the feelings alone, but also how people set out to resolve those feelings. Uh, Many members of the church who experienced a faith crisis may have questions about whether or not Joseph Smith was a prophet, and so they might peruse the Joseph Smith papers to gain insight into who Joseph Smith truly was. Or Uh, others may have questions about whether or not God exists, and so they turn to the scriptures as well as other sources and ponder whether or not God, God exists. Others may even choose to leave the church, believing that the reasons to believe the church's truth claims are unsatisfactory. Naturally, as you can see, when the dust settled on my faith journey, I didn't come to that conclusion that the church was false. Even so, that, that, last option of abandoning organized religion seems to be one that many people, especially in my generation, seem to be embracing. Now, it, it, before I move on to how to resolve this idea the, the cognitive dissonance, it's worth noting that from a cultural perspective, there, there are some people who have issues with calling this a faith crisis. Uh, critics of the church might be more prone to blame the church and not their own faith, and members of the church sometimes get self-conscious at the prospect of losing faith. Instead, members of the church, uh, in some instances, have wanted to structure this as more of a, a faith remodeling, focused on questions as opposed to some kind of crisis. And I can, I can get behind that kind of idea, as I believe that asking questions about our own faith and restructuring it in a way that's more robust is, is good practice to me. Uh, however, having been acquainted with my own feelings and the feelings of others, of uh, people navigating these issues. I have no issue. I, I, I don't really have an issue talking about it in terms of the strong emotions involved. It, it, it can certainly feel like you are in a crisis, is my understanding. Regardless, the, the main point still stands. Uh, the relationship between cognitive dissonance and feelings with that, that are often associated with what people call a faith crisis is worth exploring. And I think that bringing together those two ideas when we're talking about this is useful for critical thinkers. With such powerful emotions involved, it almost goes without saying that, like I said before, cognitive dissonance should be taken seriously. And there are a few things that people can do to resolve this this dissonance. So for example, psychologists suggest that cognitive dissonance is resolved in a few different ways, including changing our behavior so it's consistent with what we've learned, changing one of the dissonant thoughts in order to restore consistency, adding another consonant thought that justifies or reduces the importance of one thought and therefore diminishes the inconsistency, or trivializing the inconsistency altogether, making it less important and less relevant. I think that breaking down the issue in this way is useful. Objectively, we need to we need some kind of reorganization of our thoughts, whether it is adding to or changing or ultimately altering the authority of whatever thoughts may be causing the dissonance. For example, I I think a good example of this is I've made it clear on the show that I don't care for raw tomatoes. If I'm forced to eat raw tomatoes, I can resolve the ensuing cognitive dissonance by either just choosing not to eat the tomato, by trying to convince myself that the, that the tomato is actually good, or adding a thought as to why I'm eating the tomato. Perhaps I'm being paid to do it, or I don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Or I could just dismiss the thought that I don't like tomatoes and choke them down anyway. Of course, the way that that can be compared to faith is, I think, is rather obvious. We can choose to alter how we can how we view prophets and their relationship to God and their relationship to us. For example, when we run into things in church history that may make us uncomfortable. And addressing cognitive dissonance from from that perspective certainly isn't a bad approach. However, that still leaves us with a few more practical questions of how can I help my friend or loved one? I'm positive that that just about anybody who who cares to listen to what I'm saying probably knows someone who's experiencing what many call a faith crisis and I do believe it's important to discuss how we may be of help to them from a Latter-day Saint perspective as will soon be shown an application of critical thinking skills in combination with spiritual direction can allow us to connect with those who are struggling in ways that are both meaningful and effective and we as Latter-day Saints should be should try to should understand and care about this topic so that we can empathize with those experiencing a faith crisis, help them identify what the root of their faith crisis is, and eventually help them recognize that the, the feelings that they have are a natural part of a healthy, progressing, and ultimately fulfilling faith. It's interesting, The while a technical psychological definition is still up for debate, when, when I talk about empathy, it's usually just characterized as a, a complex capability enabling individuals to understand and feel the emotional states of others, resulting in compassionate behavior. While it does not necessarily mean that you embody the anxiety, anger, or sadness that may arise during these crises, it does mean that you are emotionally present and that you are able to perceive the emotions and are actively trying to perceive the, the emotions of others and that you're able to do so accurately. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. Genuine empathy brings people together. It sparks connections and helps people feel they are not alone. It is a critical part of creating a sense of belonging. This attribute is a key to responding effectively to a student with a question and to effectively leading a group discussion where many students listen carefully with unspoken questions. Now granted, this is referring to a teacher student relationship, but I do think that that's, there, there's something to be said there about how we can arrive at genuine human connection by trying to be empathetic. And that can go a long way when we're trying to explore what's causing cognitive dissonance. And another important aspect to this idea of empathy is the ability to ask questions and to genuinely listen to people we've discussed the importance of asking questions in in terms of critical thinking but getting to the root of what a person actually feels requires careful questions and patient effort it's not something that happens overnight which for me sucks cuz i'm a kind of a, i'm an impatient person i like the idea of being able just to resolve this get this done and you know go out and get ice cream later. This, but unfortunately a lot of feelings are a lot more complicated than that. Especially if someone has been going through a faith crisis for an extended period of time. With asking questions, not only are you able to get to the root of what a person is feeling, but you in turn get to figure out exactly what a person is truly concerned about. Put another way, by figuring out what they are feeling, you figure out what they truly care about and In the last episode, I I alluded to the idea that many people leave the church not necessarily because of the historical issues or the doctrinal issues themselves. Rather, they leave because of the feelings that are brought about by these issues that may pop up. In the end, if you can address the feelings that that, that, that are associated with this cognitive dissonance, you can figure out more about how to help resolve the cognitive dissonance. Now, in kind of an interesting twist, I, I, maybe it's interesting, I don't know, but it, it, brings to, it, uh, it brings to light another really important facet to this conversation when we talk about this. I don't necessarily think that cognitive dissonance is, is necessarily a bad thing. Um, I've changed how I view cognitive dissonance. It, you see what I did there? In such a way that now I look at it as evidence of learning. an opportunity to grow and to develop my ideas and this is true in just about every aspect of life but it's especially important to remember when we talk about faith i find experiences that we refer to as faith crises often work in a similar way we find something that prompts questions and challenges us and uh, inspires us to learn more about the gospel of jesus christ and the history of the restored church and it can provide us an opportunity to cling on to the peace that is found with the Savior. When we embody the pursuit of truth inherent within LES theology, this aspect of critical thinking comes very naturally, and we should use that to our advantage. It's difficult to navigate the complexities of cognitive dissonance, but connecting with trusted sources, open communication, and continual learning alongside Consistent connection with our heavenly Father resolves cognitive dissonance far better than anything else I've found, and I have found a lot of peace in at the end of said cognitive dissonance. And I don't think I would, I don't think I would give that up. If I was given the option to have not gone through my faith crisis, I wouldn't take it. I've appreciated the outcome, and I am grateful for the chance I've had to more fully explore my faith. And I think my life is better because of it. To kind of wrap up, cognitive dissonance is an important and recurring aspect on our journey to become critical thinkers. And it has a long history, and it pertains to many different contexts of our lives, including our our identities of As children of God and children of the covenant and even so there are a few options at our disposal that can help us and others navigate the complexities of cognitive dissonance and whether we're actively regulating our thoughts and opinions in a manner that is conducive to critical thinking or we're helping others by being empathetic or even just becoming more comfortable with the complexities of life Cognitive dissonance does not need to be a stumbling block in our lives. And if we're able to navigate those feelings in a constructive way, we're all that much closer to being the kinds of thinkers and believers that God wants us to be. And I truly do believe that. Besides that though, that's mostly kind of what I wanted to talk about today. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I appreciate all the support and the comments that I that I get on these videos, I do read them, and I and I appreciate I appreciate all of the very kind things that are said. I also appreciate a lot of the a lot of the other. Th- I, I appreciate a lot of the ideas that may challenge my own that are often presented in the comments. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me, and I certainly appreciate it. Besides that. Just be sure to have a fantastic rest of your day.